All right, it's time uh, for the guests who are going to help us make sense of it all, uh, starting with Barry Wood, RTHK's international economics correspondent. Uh, good evening, Barry. Good morning to you, Andrew. Thank you very much. And uh, all the way from Melbourne, Australia, we welcome Hebe Chen, a market analyst with IG. Hey, good morning, Hebe. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Barry. Great. And Hebe, uh, down in Melbourne, before we kick off on the markets news, uh, congratulations. Melbourne, now the largest city in Australia. Could, did, you, did you feel a little bit bigger? Did you, did you walk a little taller today? Well, thank you. Um, yes, I think that's a positive impact in terms of a better chance to meet more people, a less tight labor market, I guess, and that's inflation pressures. But on the other side, probably not that exciting to see more traffic on the road and the house price getting more expensive. So I think that's two sides of the, of the coins, I guess. All right. Well, I guess I guess Melbourne's uh, Melbourne and Australia in terms of population, they got a little way to go before they can beat China, uh, where we got yep. some <laughs> nice like that segue. Um, look, China, where we got some good uh, economic uh, news yesterday with China with uh, growth beating expectations. Uh, how, what do you think of that momentum? I know the Chinese government set a target of five percent. Um, I guess yep. you know they they only expected for uh, analysts expected four percent in the first quarter, but we got four point five. Can they keep up the momentum? Yep. Well, I guess, um, I think yesterday it's better than expected Q1, as you mentioned, 4.5. This also mean more confidence that the yearly target of 5% is achievable. Well, and the reason for that is very simple because Q1 is now setting up a baseline of expectation. And it's almost certain you can see that Q2 and Q3 will have come with a higher chance to exceed this number due to the easy comparison. And we all know that the Q2, Q3, Q3 last year was the time the Chinese economy suffered the most severe impact by the COVID restrictions. So it's a high chance that and when we can come into the Q2, Q3, the number will be definitely about 5% or even 6%. So putting that together, I think 5% looks like a very achievable from the Chinese government's point of view. But I also want to say that achieving a target is not it's not sufficient that you plan a victory of the recovery because there are still so many issues that are kidney concerning, like the insufficient domestic demand, the youth employment rate. It's almost touching the history high. So overall, I think it's a mixed picture for me. But in terms of number-wise, yes, 5%, in my view, is achievable. Right. You, you, you're citing uh, consumer spending as a potential concern, but I mean, it, it looks like that also beat expectations. I think it was, uh, they were what calling for 5% five, 5 and change, but it hit over 7.5%. I mean, uh, are you taking that as good news? Can the Chinese consumer keep up that kind of uh, performance? Well, I think the, the key concern for me is that we know that China is trying to shift in the focus of the economy into like a domestic demand driven, and that's the big focus for after pandemic. Yes, we do see some of the rising numbers in terms of the retail sales, but on the other hand, we also have the CPI showing that the two full strain marks of disappointment showing that the domestic demand is definitely not strong enough to support the price point. So it looks like it's still growing, but it's definitely not yet reached a level that we can be celebrated about it. Right. Uh, Barry, how much does success in China impact on success in the U.S.? I mean, uh, I know it's, uh, you know, of course, the U.S. runs a big trade deficit with China. They import a lot from China, but they also export, whether it's agricultural or components that then go into high-tech products China ships back to America. I mean, how much upside is there for the U.S. in an improving Chinese economy? Well, I think, Andrew, there's a lot. Uh, it is a question that uh, many American corporations make a lot of money in the Chinese market. Mm. 
And that kind of profit repatriation to the United States is significant. It's also significant in the earnings of these American companies that are active in the Chinese market. So I think that uh, China is back is going to be the theme for the next few months. And I think that I agree with everything that Hebe has said. It is uh, likely to be uneven, but it's a tremendous advance from three years of, of uh, pandemic. So it looks to me like uh, China is doing very, very well. What, what sectors in the U.S. would you be looking to to benefit from a Chinese pickup? And I mean, and, and I guess there's a, there's, a, there's a follow on to that. Is, are some of those sectors like uh, some of the high tech sectors, especially high tech components export to China, are, are those being hampered? Are they going to miss out on some of that growth because of political issues? Yeah, that's an uncertainty, but I don't know if we can really predict much of that, Andrew. You've got Apple is going to do very well from Apple sales within China, and that's an important market. Certainly, Tesla is going to do well with the Chinese consumer buying more, and Tesla is a popular brand in China among a very crowded EV market. And then you've got uh, even the... the uh, traditional American auto companies that make a fair bit of money out of China, and in fact uh, a lot of money relative to what they make in the States. That would apply to General Motors and uh, the Buick brand, which has historically been very popular in China. Caterpillar does well. I mean, look, there's just a lot of companies, including the new mutual fund companies that over the last couple of years have been allowed into the Chinese market. So. I'm not familiar with too many of the companies that are going to benefit from faster growth in China, but I do know it's there and it's going to be reflected in U.S. earnings and it's going to have a positive effect in the U.S. economy. Hmm. Uh, Hebe, who else do you see benefiting from the rise of China around the region if, if the economy is outperforming, and whether it's particular sectors or countries in the Asian region or Europe? I mean, who, who do you see also benefiting from this on the, on the side? Well, I guess um, one of the key, most straightforward beneficiaries as you just mentioned in this opening of the show is that we've seen that more and more Chinese reach is now going to Singapore, um, which is like taking them as like the second home and the new home for that. So we definitely can, based on the number point of view, we see a lot of the capital is now flowing to the Singapore, and that's one of the destinations we see the money that's being flowed to. On the other hand, in terms of the manufacturing, in terms of the demand side of you, I think that Asian, especially East Asian and Southeast Asian would, would be the region that benefit the most. And that's because that since I think that quite a lot of tension between the China and the Western countries, it looks like the connection in between them will be getting more stronger and that there's more chance that that China will be kind of building up a more trading, more like a manufacturing partnership or like exporting um, agreements with all these countries around China. Hmm. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we're looking at what's happening there. I, I do want to get a look at what's going on because uh, one of the big uh, things we're keeping an eye on at Money Talk is earnings week in the United States. Uh, there's a lot of companies that are reporting their results uh, over there. Uh, Barry, why don't you give us a preview on what you've got your eye on for the rest of this week? I mean, Bank of America's in, Goldman Sachs is in, Netflix is in. Who else is, is on your radar? Well, Tesla's coming, and that's going to be important. And uh, I think uh, I, frankly, have not focused a lot on the earnings that are coming. They're going to be depressed because the United States economy is slowing down. We are probably at a 2% annual growth rate. I mean, that's not very impressive compared to the 5% in China. 
But I, uh, I, I know there's a raft of companies coming, not so many this week, more next week, and they're not going to be good. Now, having said all that, Andrew, it is true, earnings have held up much better than had been predicted over the last six months. Okay, Hebe, I know you've got some, you've got some views on that. What have you got your eye on? Well, I, can, I kind of agree more with Barry. I think, yes, we we do have fortune to have a good start to this ending season. So last week, the biggest banks kind of beat the expectation and set up a higher bar. But uh, the more reality expectations for this ending season to see the SP 500 companies will decline roughly about 6.5%. And that will mark the largest ending decline since the Q2 2020. And that's the re- uh, more realistic expectations for investors looking for. And now we're seeing that it looks like the banking sectors that are holding quite well, quite strongly. But I think that more questions will be around the, the technology company. Netflix last night was a good example. Tesla, as uh, Barry mentioned, yes, one thing we focus for that will be in between their margins and the what the impact on that after the, the price cutting strategy. Next week we'll have more like a tech companies, the big tech giants, the Alphabet, the Apple, and Microsoft. They were all kinds of big information that sort of helped us to digest how much all these like a big giant companies be impacted by the economy headwinds. Mm. I mean, and so I mean, if there are these headwinds coming, you know, people, uh, you know, we get flight, to, you know, we get flight to safety, um, and some people think that's going to be Bitcoin. I mean, gold is the traditional one. Hebe, I think the G does the G in your company name IG. Does it stand for gold? <laughs> uh, um, in, in terms of how shiny, in terms of how shiny it is, I, I think it is. In the um, origins, back yes, in the day, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Yes, I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think that because of all this volatility in the risky market, it def- definitely gives that extra strike extra to the gold. We think the gold price is trying to, it's already coming to the 13-month high level, and uh, it's now facing probably the strongest resistance level so far, the double pick from the 2020 and 2022, roughly about 2060 and 2070. We're seeing that the price has pulled back a little bit early this week, but now it's coming back again. Um, I just want to um, be stressed that once that the price can overcome this current hurdle, there's a chance. Actually, I see quite high chance that the precious metal will mark will make another all-time high above 2060, and that's that's probably the midterm outlook for this uh, for this we call the safe haven um, asset. Oof. Okay, so you're so you're saying that okay, so gold popped up above two thousand, then it was down below, and I think right now it's back up again. And and what is your? Yeah. Did you say that again? What is your call for for uh, if if gold does break? Did you say twenty sixty? Is it's got a lot of runway to to take off and go even further? Huh? Um, I see that the twenty. The reason I'm doing that twenty to sixty is because of the peak from twenty twenty and twenty twenty two. So that will be the the key hurdle. I would say the key target for the mm. gold to conquer this week or next. So the chance that, that in the best scenario that the price of gold can clear this hurdle here and that will be right above that there will be another all-time high. I got you. Barry, is, is there, you know, I know there's a lot of talk of a recession later this year, but I mean, they, people don't seem like it's like, oh my God, recession. It's like, eh, light, light, light landing, recession, small recession, short recession. Um, is there a flight to safety right now or are people figuring, eh, we'll just ride Yes, it. there is a flight to safety. Okay. And I think the flight to safety is really reflected in the fact that uh, a lot of money is being withdrawn from the market and put into savings accounts. Mm. There are some savings accounts now that are playing close to the rate of inflation. 
Uh, and that's that's pretty amazing. You know, just to stay with gold, and I really like what Hebe was saying about that, the interesting thing about 2021 and 2022 was that the gold price did not really climb significantly, and we did have, at least in the early part of that two-year period, a very sharp run-up in crypto. Uh, we, we saw crypto... I was thinking as a non-gold student that probably crypto has replaced gold. Now in the last six to eight months, we've seen a reversal. We've seen gold take off. We've seen crypto crash. And now we see crypto recovering again. You know, it was FTX back in November of 22 that sent shutters through the crypto market. And that all is recovered. And now gold and crypto together are moving up. So, Hebe, what does all that mean? Well, they, I think the reason why mega crypto more attractive, I think, is because of the decentralized. And um, we have seen quite a lot of concern, or rather for a lot of this discussion about whether the central bank will potentially push our economy into a recession. That's, that's a big concern for the market. So that kind of gives this decentralized concept an actual point or actual appealing um, advantage for the investors' uh, money. And that's one side, that's one part of the investor. And the other part of the investor, which is still believe in the traditional view that gold will preserve the value, that's a safe haven, and that's where they kind of flowing into to preserve the, the, the cash, preserve the value, just in case of anything downtrend or anything like black swan from the economy side, from the market side. Okay. So that, I think that demonstrates like two different sort of mentality in the market at this age. Alright, well, uh, that's great input. Uh, that is Hebe Chen who's coming at us from the largest city in Australia, Melbourne, where she is a market analyst with IG. Uh, we've also got on Barry Wood, RTHK's international economics correspondent, who's going to be